This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We'll open God's Word this morning to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, and today and for the next couple of Sundays and get on Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at great Christmas texts about the incarnation of Christ. And so we're going to look today at a text that's really, it's, uh, it's, it incorporates themes of Christmas, the incarnation, God becoming man, with the theme of missions. This today is our day of ingathering for our Lottie Moon offering. So Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, today, verses 1 through 5. It's about good news to be shared. So if you'll find that in your copy of God's Word, Romans 1 and verses 1 through 5 as we begin this Advent 2014 series today. Romans chapter 1. Of course, Romans is a letter of the Apostle Paul, and he begins it this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Father, our prayer is that among all the nations, from every people group on earth, there would ring forth praises, giving Jesus the honor that is due His name. We pray that You would use Your Word today to cause us to love Him more. I pray for anyone here today that doesn't yet know the Savior, that You would open the eyes of their heart to see Jesus, and to trust Him today. And so right now, these are moments of expectancy. Every time that we open Your Word, all kinds of wonderful things can happen because Your Spirit works through Your Word. And Your Spirit is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts changes lives. We pray that you would change us now through your Spirit, working through your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. An intersection is a place where uh, different roads come together. And really what this text is, is an, an intersection of three massive themes that we see in Scripture. One is the Gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done for us. The second is part of that gospel, which is the incarnation. What we remember at Christmas, that that God became a human being. The third theme here in this text is missions. The, uh, the, The assignment that we have to take this gospel, this good news, to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. So it's a perfect text, really, for what we're talking about today, because this is an Advent Sunday. It's a Christmas theme, but it's also a time in our church where we have our in-gathering for our Lottie Moon offering. 
and we focus on missions. We see all of those things in this text today, this great gospel text. So what do we see here about the good news, about the gospel in Romans 1, 1 through 5? Well, first of all, we see something about the promise of the gospel. Paul tells us in verses 1 and 2 that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. So right from the outset in Romans, Paul wants to stress that the good news that he proclaims is not some new, novel, man-made theological invention. He wants us to see from the very beginning that the good news is rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. That's the Scriptures that he's talking about here, that it was promised beforehand through the Holy Scriptures. The New Testament did not exist at this point. It was coming into formation. But the Scriptures Paul is talking about here are the Scriptures of the Old Testament. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that there are very, very specific prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Christ, about the first coming and the second coming of Christ. But about the first coming... You know, scriptures like uh, Isaiah 7, where the, uh, the, the prophecy is that he's going to be born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Those are just two among many. But according to New Testament scholar Doug Moo, probably what Paul is talking about here is, 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 is broader than that. Paul here is, is talking about the, the theme that runs through every book of the Old Testament. Really a twofold theme. A, that a Savior is needed, and B, that a Savior is coming. That runs all the way through the entire Old Testament. Our need for a Savior and the fact that God is going to provide one. And so when you read the Old Testament, when you read the Bible, understand you're not reading a a bunch of disconnected stories. You're really reading one story, one grand story of redemption. And so in the Old Testament, it's our need for a Savior and the fact that the Savior is coming. There's some great resources uh, really to help us to see this. Some of you are doing the Gospel Project um, in Sunday school, parents, you've heard me recommend to you before the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones, which is great not only for children, but for their parents as well, and just shows in just a beautiful way how every story in Scripture just whispers the name of Jesus. Um, if you have an ESV study Bible, if you don't, I encourage you to get one. But in the ESV study Bible, there's so many wonderful articles and resources. One of those articles is called The History of Salvation in the Old Testament. And it just walks you through book by book and shows you how in every book of the Old Testament there is Jesus. It's another great book um, just that's come out in the past few years by Michael uh, Michael Williams and it's called How to Read the Bible Through the Jesus Lens. It walks you through every book of the Bible and just shows how Christ is there. If you want more information about any of those, just approach me after the service. But when you read the Old Testament, understand that Christ is all the way through it. That this gospel was promised, it's rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. So we see the promise of the gospel. Second, Paul talks about the person of the gospel in verses 3 and 4. He says that this gospel, this good news, is concerning His Son. 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now in our culture, among all of the Christian holidays, Christmas is the one that the world most wants in on. Easter, without which there would be no Christianity, barely gets a nod from the culture in comparison to Christmas. For weeks, Christmas dominates in our culture in America. I'm not complaining about that at all. Um, Because every day that Christmas is permeating the culture and the airwaves, that's an opportunity for us to be able to, to share with our friends, you know, what it's, what it's really all, all about. Um, but what the world really wants to do is they want to kind of retain the principles of Christmas without the person. So the world, the world talks a lot about, you know, in our Advent wreath, our, the four candles that surround the middle one, love, joy, hope, peace. The world wants to talk about these things during this time of year, but they kind of leave out the center candle, which is the Christ candle. But see, that won't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because Christianity is grounded in real historical events. Christianity, unlike other major religions, is not like a bunch of principles about how to live. It's about a person. It's not um, good advice about what you should do. It's good news about what God has done. Okay, it's, it's not just about nice principles for how to live. It's, it's about a person. This is, this is just very different because in, in, in the other religions, what you have is a leader who comes along and says, okay, live by these principles. In Christianity, the leader says, I am the principle. Okay, Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, instead of saying, here are principles to live by, what Christianity says is, um, you can't live by the principles. <laughs> we, we all fail. We have failed miserably to live up to God's principles. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. Instead of condemning you, for failing to live up to the principles. I'm going to become a human being and I'm going to live them in your place. I'm going to live the principles in your place. I'm I'm going to live the perfect life that you are unable to live. And then I'm going to take the judgment that you deserve on myself, on the cross. Now, this brings us to our text in Romans Because Paul says here that this gospel is concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what do we see here in verses 3 and 4 about Jesus? We see that he was fully man. Verse 3, it says that he was descended from David according to the flesh. And we see that Jesus was fully God. Verse 4, that He was declared to be the Son of God and power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Now, notice that Paul does not say here that Jesus becomes the Son of God. 
by His resurrection. No, no. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God by His resurrection. The resurrection is a declaration and a demonstration of who Jesus already is. Because I want you to understand that the Son of David did not become the Son of God. The Son of God became the Son of David. So that we can become children of God. Very important to get that sequence straight. The Son of God became the Son of David. John 1.1 says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then what happened? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, the Son of God became the Son of David so that we can become children of God. So Jesus had to become a human being in order for that to happen in order to take our place. And that is what is at the heart of Christianity. At the heart of Christianity is place-taking. Place-taking. Every time that we sin, what are we doing? We're taking God's place. We're saying, I'm on the throne. I'm on the throne. The choir sang earlier that God would be enthroned in our hearts, but I'm telling you, when we sin, what we're saying is, God, I'm on the throne. I'm going to run my life my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm on the throne here, not you. We take God's place. And God says, instead of condemning you because of your monstrous attempt to take my place, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to, going to become, become a human being. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to live the perfect life that you could not live in your place. And then I'm going to die in your place on the cross. It's about place taking. What are we to do with this love? How are we to respond to this love? Believe it. Believe. Believe it. Romans 1.16, just a few verses down from this text today, says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Believe this good news. And then in verse 17, he unpacks that a little more. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, why is the revelation of God's righteousness good news for unrighteous people like us? (laughs) What makes that good news? I mean, we are sinners, we're unrighteous, how is the revelation of the righteousness of God good news for sinners? That was Martin Luther's question, okay? Um, Luther, even as a monk, knew that he was unrighteous, he knew that he sinned in just all kinds of ways, and he knew that he fell short of God's perfect righteousness, and so, you know, he, he, to him, the righteousness of God was just something that, that terrified him. But then, in what 
uh, is called his Tower Experience. I encourage you to read Roland Bainton's biography of Martin Luther. Here I stand. Great biography. But um, in Luther's Tower Experience, as he dug into the book of Romans, as he dug into this text, he came to understand that what Paul is talking about here is not just God's own intrinsic righteousness, but the fact that God gives the gift of his righteousness to all who trust in his Son. That, that, that for all who trust in Jesus, that God, God credits the perfect righteousness of his Son to our account. So that we're standing in grace, so that we can be made right with God. That's what it means to be justified. Okay, it's, it's, it's that God's righteousness makes us right with God because the perfect righteousness of Jesus is, is credited to us. Paul expands on this in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. God. When you think about that word ju- justified, think about the way that we use it in our culture. Okay? If, um, if, if, if somebody makes a statement and you say to them, can you justify what you just said? What are you asking them to do? When you say to somebody, okay, justify what you just said, you're not asking them to change their statement. You're asking them to help you regard their statement differently, right? You're asking them to say something so that you can accept their statement, so that you will think differently of their statement, so that you will regard their statement differently. Okay, that's what happens in justification. Jesus has done something so that when we trust in Christ, okay, God, our, our status before God changes God, God thinks of us differently. God, um, God can now accept us. He regards us differently. Why? Because when we trust in Jesus, His perfect righteousness is credited to us. And see, this is why justification is so much more than being forgiven of our sins. As wonderful as that is. Okay, but most Christians think about justification as just, well, God forgives us of our sins. Yes, that's part of it. But as wonderful as forgiveness is, justification is so much more. It's so much more. Um, because it's not just that we're forgiven. It's that we're given a whole new status before God. That's what he talks about in verse 2. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's, it's not only that we're forgiven, it's the fact that, that we have access into this standing of grace, a, a whole new status before God. You know, presidents can pardon people. Um, presidential pardons... Usually you see them at the end of a president's term. A lot of people will, will receive a, a pardon, which is a great thing for those people. It means that they're exempt from prosecution and so forth. But is receiving a presidential pardon, is that really something that elevates a person's status? Is it, it's not really an honor. 
It's, good. it's great for that person. They're, you know, they're not going to be prosecuted. Um, they're free to go. But it's, it's not, we, it's not, we don't really think of a presidential pardon really as, as an honor. The highest honor that is given in our nation really is when the president calls in someone from our military. And because of their extraordinary, sacrificial, selfless acts of valor, he awards them the Medal of Honor. Probably the highest award, that can, highest honor that can be given in America is a, a Medal of Honor. Okay, being justified. When, when we're justified through faith in Christ, it's like receiving a pardon and a Medal of Honor. Okay? Um, because our status changes. Now, there's an old episode of NCIS. Um, where there's this old, uh, broken-down Marine, and he's, this, he's accused of a crime. And so two young, big, burly Marines and, uh, and a Navy lawyer are going to arrest him. They're going to arrest this, this, old, this old man, this, this veteran, this, this, uh, this Marine. And, uh, and they're about to slap the cuffs on him. And just as they're about to put the cuffs on him and make the arrest... The old man's friend pulls back his tie and reveals the Medal of Honor underneath for his heroism on Iwo Jima in World War II. And these same three men who were about to begin slapping the handcuffs on this man, instead of slapping the handcuffs on him, they begin snapping off salutes. His status in their eyes is totally changed because of the medal that he had won. With us it's similar, but there's a very important difference. Our status has changed before God, not because of medals that we have won, but because of the medals that Christ has won on our behalf. If you've been justified by faith in Christ, you are covered in His medals. You're covered in the medals and the merits of the Savior. So that when God looks at you now, He doesn't see uh, your sin. He sees the medals won by His Son that have been credited to you. That's justification. Forgiveness, yes, but so much more. So much more. All made possible by the person of the gospel, the Lord Jesus. Third, we see here the place of the gospel. The place of the gospel. Verse 5, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Now the gospel is about events. It's an announcement of events that happened in real space and time, real history, in a real place. Christ was born, lived, died on the cross, rose from the dead in first century Israel. But, it's like a stone being thrown into a pond on a calm day where the stone falls into the middle of the water and the ripple effects go out all across. 
That's the way it is with the gospel. And so Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples where? Of all nations. Now Paul uses that word here too in verse 5. He says this is for the sake of his name among all the nations. When Paul and Jesus use the word nation, they're not talking about it the way that we talk about nation today. When we think about a nation, we're thinking about a nation state, a political state. That's not what they mean. When they talk about nations, they're, they're talking about people groups. Okay, every, every distinct group of people with a common culture, you know, language, etc., some of you have been to Romania where you were ministering among gypsy peoples, a very distinct people group within the nation of Romania. I've been to Morocco uh, three different times. But in Morocco, I mean, there are Moroccan Arabs, but there are three different kinds of Berber peoples. All very, very distinct groupings of people. So the call that we're given is to reach every distinct tribe, every every grouping of people. Now, here's God's promise. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And that promise, as Paul says here, it's rooted all the way back in the Old Testament. In fact, it's rooted really in the first book of the Bible. God says to Abraham in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, God is telling Abraham here, I'm going to form a people through you, the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are to be a light to all the other peoples. The story of the Old Testament is about Israel's failure to do that. Instead of becoming a light to the Gentiles, a light to the rest of the nations, they become inward looking. They begin looking inward. They they fail in the mission. Okay, does that mean that God's promise to bless the world through Israel falls to the ground? No. Because through Israel, through the Jewish people, God brings forth the Messiah, Jesus And in Luke 2, after the birth of Christ, when they take Jesus to the temple, there's an old man in the temple in Jerusalem, Simeon. Simeon has been waiting for the Messiah, praying for the Messiah. And when Simeon holds the baby Jesus in his arms, he knows. He's seen the Messiah. He says, "I, I can now depart in peace. Why? He holds the baby Jesus and he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of what? All peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That baby that Simeon was holding in his arms was going to go on to shed his blood on the cross, rise from the dead, be exalted to glory. He's coming again. And one day... Those of us who know Him are going to join with people from every tribe and tongue, every people group, and sing the words of Revelation 5.9. Worthy are you to take the scroll 
and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so today, as we participate in this in-gathering, we're really participating in a drama that encompasses the whole Bible. A drama that begins in Genesis with God's promise. And it goes through every book of the Bible all the way to Revelation where we see the, the culmination of this. We're going to be a part of it. As you give today, you, you're joining in. You're getting caught up in the flow of this drama that God is bringing to pass that all peoples would know Him, that people from every tribe and tongue would sing praises to the Savior who deserves those praises. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity that we have to be a part of what You're doing in this world. The, the most important thing, the most strategic investment of our lives is to be able to share the Gospel and to give so that others can be sent to go into places where we cannot go. We thank you for the opportunity to do that right now. We pray that you would take what we use today, that men and women, boys and girls, would know you, that praises to Jesus would ring out from places where he is not currently known, where maybe his name has never even been spoken but that praises would rise to our Savior, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, that those praises would rise from every city, every village, every hamlet. Bless what we give now, that all would know you and that Christ would receive the honor due his name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment we're going to invite you to, to come forward. We have uh, boxes that are uh, spread across the, the front here for you to, to be able to give. If you're a guest here today and you're not prepared to give, please uh, don't feel pressured at all to give. And, and it doesn't have to be today. We're going to continue to take, uh, take up our Lottie Moon offering on all these weeks leading up to Christmas. But today, if you're prepared to do so, is a very special day uh, of our, our in-gathering. And so in just a moment... I'm going to invite you to come. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with Him, love to talk with you. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just share with me what God's doing in your life. If, you're, if your desire is to be a part of our church family, uh, again, I'm going to be here. Other pastors will be here. Um, just come and share with us and we want to welcome you and, and present you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust 
in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.